Okay, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's so wonderful to be here with everyone. Uh, just a quick, a, quick, uh, a quick announcement. If anyone has issue with the 11 o'clock class and wants to move it back to 10, let me know after. I'm fine with it staying at 11. It's perfect for me. Okay? If it's uh, 10 is also perfect. To see so many beautiful faces here, it's great. So uh, it's wonderful to be here. And um, if anyone has any questions, if you could just raise your hand. I love questions. You know, my policy is that any question is okay, but you have to accept any answer. <laughs> right? And one of those answers might be, one of those answers might be that I just don't know the answer, so you'll have to accept that also. All right, so my friends, let's begin. I want to share with you something I saw over the weekend, a beautiful, beautiful idea, which really follows with what we have been talking about uh, the past couple of weeks. So we talk about happiness. This is very interesting. In our prayer that we say, in our grace after meals that we say, Birkat Hamazon, we say a very interesting phrase. We ask for God to give us bakol mikol kol. Just as God blessed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with all. They both, they, all three of them use the term all. I'll show you. Um, the term is used, Avraham zaken babayamim, and Abraham was older, coming in days. Vashem beraches Avram bakol. And God blessed Abraham with all. He had it all. And Yitzchak, by Isaac, it says the same, same exact idea, v'ochal mikol, and I will eat from all, I've got it all, meaning eating in this world from everything. God gave me everything. And it says by Jacob, it says that when he met up with his brother Esau, it says that Esau asked him, his brother asked him, so what do you have? What, 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 are, what are your accomplishments? She says, oh, I got it all. It's very interesting that all three of them were lacking in very, very significant areas. Abraham just lost his wife, Sarah. Abraham still had a son who was wicked and evil, Ishmael. I mean, you had some real significant things that he was lacking. And yet, if you asked him what was going on, he says, I've got it all. Isaac was also lacking a lot. He was blind. He has his, he, you know, he has his two children fighting, right? Jacob and Esau, right? I mean, you think of, sorry, I was saying, Abraham had Yishmael. Okay, so, right? So here you have Isaac has, um, has his, his issues, and you ask him, what do you have? And he says, I've got it all. And now Jacob is meeting with his brother who wants to kill him, right? He splits up his family, half here, half there. And his brother asks him, what do you have? He says, I've got it all. And we all know clearly that they didn't have it all. So why do they say that? Our sages tell us, because if you have the attitude that you've got it all, that is the attitude of happiness. Our sages tell us that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob wanted happiness. So they said, and they constantly repeated, no matter what their lackings were, I've got it all. Now, conversely, look at Asaph. Jacob asks Asaph, he says, so what do you have? He says, I have a lot. A lot is very different than having it all. 
the whole mentality is a different mentality. And that's why when we make a, a when we ask for goodness in our grace after meals, in our Bikat Amazon, what we're actually asking for is we want to have it just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had it all. They had the perspective that everything, they had it all. They weren't lacking anything. That's the attitude that we want to have. I think it's a very, very beautiful idea when we're talking about happiness. Happiness, we've said, is not a destination. You don't arrive one day with your dream job, with your dream spouse, with your dream children, and with your dream accomplishments, and then you arrive at happiness. You can have happiness all along that entire journey if you have the perspective of happiness. And the first part of the perspective of happiness is not looking at what you don't have, but rather looking at what you do have and being grateful for it. And the more you're grateful for it, the more you recognize, you know how blessed I am. It's incredible. And I'll tell you, Jews have an obsession with happiness. I said this multiple times. Jews have an obsession with happiness, which is why we say so many blessings. The reason we say so many blessings is because what is a blessing? A blessing is not just thanking God. A blessing is, recognized how, is recognizing how blessed I am. When you stop and you say the blessings in the morning, two of them I'll share with you here. Right? Baruch Hashem Blessed are you, Hashem, our, our God, King of the universe, who has provided me my every need. Think about that for a second. God has provided for me my every need. Is there anything, you know, it's very interesting, the Talmud tells us that the way in which a man wants to go, they escort him. Anybody here who has a dream that they weren't able yet to accomplish? Most people accomplish their dreams. You know why? God says, this is the path you want to go. I'm, I'm here to help you. I want you to accomplish it. Right? That doesn't mean a crazy dream. Anybody here who wants to win Michael Phelps in a swimming race, good luck. Okay? That's, not, that's not a reasonable dream. Right? But because most of us aren't at his age, right? You are, but I'm not, right? I'm 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 you know 41 years old. I, I, I can't race against the 21 year old. Um, it's just not gonna work. Right? I've got old parts, right? But you think about it. Is there any dream that you ever set for yourself that you weren't able to accomplish? It may have been more difficult than you anticipated. You may have had more challenges along the way, but at the end of the day, those dreams come true. It's incredible. It really is amazing. By, by the way, both for good and for bad. If you have it, you want you want to hurt somebody else and you want to and you can even have success in that sometimes, right? But that's not going to be fulfilling ever. It'll never be fulfilling to harm someone else. There's no way to climb a ladder by pushing other people down. The only way to climb a ladder is to elevate yourself. The second blessing that we say every morning is Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam HaMeichin Mitzadei Gaver. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the Universe, who firms man's footsteps. God prepares our ways for us. Right? If you think about it, look at, look at your previous day. Stop for a second and look at your previous day and think to yourself one second. Uh, so many coincidences, quote, so, you know, 
quote-unquote coincidences, which Judaism doesn't believe in coincidence. Ever. We don't believe in coincidence. God put you in a specific place at a specific time. And he wants you to be there. He wants you to meet that person. You think it's by mistake, but it's not by mistake. You think it, it's happenstance. It's not happenstance. God puts you there specifically so that you have this interaction, so that your next business deal comes from there, so that your marriage partner comes from there, so that your, you know, your, your, uh, whatever it is that you're looking for, that your next, uh, um, your next, uh, uh, you know, uh, referral will come from there. Okay? So God prepares our ways. And the more we recognize this, the more we will see the hand of Hashem that's always guiding us. It's always guiding us. So we left off last week like this. There's a known foundation that when opposites meet, there is happiness. Okay? A few examples of this is body and soul. When a baby is born, is it a happy time? It's a very happy time. You know why? Because two opposites just met. Here's a baby who's all body, and God infuses at birth a soul into that baby. There's a coming together of two opposites. It's great joy. When a man and woman come together in marriage, it's a time of great joy because it's two opposites coming together. When it's, it says that there was a time, today we, 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 we're a little bit too spoiled for this, but it used to be that when it used to rain, people would go dancing in the rain. And you know why they dance in the rain? Because this meant that their crops were about to grow. This meant that they were going to have produce. This meant that they were going to have a business. If it didn't rain, there was a big problem. So, our sages tell us that the happiness, the joy of rain, is also the com coming together of opposites. It's the heavens kissing the earth. That's what rain is. Now, we today are a little bit too spoiled. We're like, oh, I don't want it to ruin my hair, right? It's going to get my jacket. It's going to get my jacket wet or dirty, so we have to have umbrellas or whatever, and we, we, we're inconvenienced by it. But it used to be a time where people were a little bit less self-indulged, and people would love the rain because the rain meant blessing. In fact, in our prayer, every single day, three times a day, we say, Barech aleinu azot. Bless upon us this year that we are in. And give all of our crops its success. Give all of, and it's also referring to our livelihood. Many of our livelihoods do not depend on rain. But this is the special blessing that we have for livelihood. Yes. Okay, so, so, so you're right. The, of course we have, when we have, the closer our relationship with the, with, with the Almighty, Hashem, right, the more we, we have that relationship with God, the more we recognize that He gives us exactly what we need. Exactly what we need. And, you know, it, it's something we just mentioned uh, yesterday in our prayer class about the importance of recognizing that 
the challenge that a person faces is custom-made for them. Your challenge that you have, nobody else in this room potentially can even understand your challenge because it's unique to you. We can feel, we can sympathize, we can feel with you, right? But it's not necessarily that we will uh, fully grasp the challenge that you're facing. That's why they say when you have a challenge, speak it over with someone else because someone else, they might not be smarter, but because they're not connected to that challenge directly, it makes it easier for them to look at it objectively. Right? You're subjective to your own feelings, to your own emotions, to your own, to your own wishes. Okay, so now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't have everything. They had God, that's true. But what they did have was perspective. We have to remember, perspective is everything. You don't need to have everything to be happy. But you need to have a perspective that you have everything. You know what? If God wanted me to have it, I would have it. But he decided I shouldn't. And that's why it's very interesting that the Mishnah tells us, don't judge your fellow till you're standing in his place. Don't judge your fellow till you're standing in his place. Is anybody here, has anybody ever been in somebody else's shoes? I'm not talking physically in their shoes. I'm talking about having the same wife, having the same children, having the same challenges, having the same struggles? No. So you know what the mission is telling you? Don't judge them. Don't judge other people. I had a guy came to my house. I, I think I mentioned this story in class yesterday or on Friday. A guy came to my house. He was, uh, he was fundraising. And he comes. people come in, in my neighborhood all the time. They see a mezuzah on the door. They knock on the door. They're collecting for a yeshiva. They're collecting for an orphanage. They're collecting for a, uh, for a soup kitchen. They're collecting many, many amazing causes. So I give everyone. I can't give that much. But I give whatever I can give. But there's someone in the neighborhood who just sold his business for an, an enormous amount of money. And this person who came to collect by me, he says, tell me about this person. He says, why does he only give me such a small check relative to what he has? I mean, he has so much money. Why doesn't he give me more money? Doesn't he know that I have such a great cause? I said, are you about to start judging somebody? I said, do you know what his responsibilities are? Do you understand how many institutions he supports? How many synagogues? How many schools? How, how many families depend on him? And you're one cause. You come here for a day. It's like a guy comes into synagogue. He hasn't been there the previous week. He hasn't been there two weeks before. He comes into synagogue and he sees that the Gabbai gives the aliyahs to all these different people. He says, what a chutzpah. They don't give an aliyah to the rabbi. How disgusting. You don't respect your rabbi. What's wrong with you? So they turn to him. They say, were you here last week? No. Were you here the week before? No. Are you going to be here next week? No. So you come in. You sit, take a little picture and you're like, oh, you know, injustice. Right? You have to look at a full picture. Right? If you don't look at a full picture, of course you won't understand what's going on. Okay? Our full picture only we can see. And sometimes we can't even see our own full picture. We have to zoom out so that we can see. Look at the picture of our life. Throughout our life, do you see how much blessing we've been fortunate to have? 
throughout our lives, do you see how much God gave us and God took care of us every step of the way? He never forgot about us. He always made sure that at the end of the day, we were worried, we were concerned, we didn't know what the next step was going to be, but he carried us along the way. He took care of it. We sometimes like to feel in control of everything. I've got control of it all. No, relax. God has much broader shoulders than you. He can carry it far better than you. Right? He's a lot stronger. He's a lot more capable. There's no need for us to worry. And this is, this is the message that our sages throughout the Torah, throughout all of Tanakh, all of the stories that you see, are telling us the same idea. Just have a little trust in God. Right? My daughter jumps into my hands when she's afraid and she knows I'm there to protect her. I'm her father. You know something? We all have a father in heaven. And we can jump into his arms and he embraces us and he says, I'll protect you. Don't worry about it. Okay? Just We have to feel that connection. We have to feel that closeness. Okay. So there are four dimensions. a very interesting idea. Um, I don't want to get into it too much. We can in future weeks if maybe we'll, if, if time will allow. But there are four dimensions of traits. Okay? Every person, this, by the way, this is all founded. If you look in modern-day psychology, if you look in, uh, oh, what's that? Uh, there's that, uh, the, the, uh, the four different, the, no, 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 the, uh, exactly. What is it called again? Right. right. The personality traits, right? So it's divided up into four different categories, right? And of those four categories, Briggs-Myers, right? Briggs-Myers, right? Meyer-Briggs. Meyer-Briggs, thank you. Right? So you have the, 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 uh, the uh, we once actually had a professional come out to the Torch Center and do a whole presentation uh, for the Torch rabbis and identify the strengths of each of the rabbis and their weaknesses so that you know now you know your qualities, you know your flaws. It'll help you if you're trying to do certain types of programming or certain types of, you know, that's not where your strength is. You're not an extrovert. You're not an introvert. you got to know who you are. Either way, it's all based on these four principles that our sages tell us two and a half thousand years ago. There are four per types of personalities, foundations. Number one, fire. Those are people who are arrogant, those are people who are angry. Then you have wind, which is people who are just pointless chatter, people who are just, you know, their, their moods come and go like wind. Water, water is pleasures, jealousy. And then you have earth, which is sadness, laziness, and despair. Right? People who have depression, people think that, that, that are where it's more prevalent by them have this one of these four. Each one of us, each human being, has a different compilation of these four. We all have it. We're all built of these four dimensions. Now, there are four positive attributes that correct these negative traits, right? And that happiness, we have to understand, happiness makes it possible to work on sadness, laziness, and despair. How does someone work with their happiness? All right. If we stood, I, 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 I think I mentioned the story before of the, the young man who told me 
that uh, nothing was going for him in his life, right? And I told him to make a list. I told him to make a list of all the things he's thankful for. He couldn't come up with a list of 10 things. Eventually, he came up, you know, we worked on it together, and we got anywhere between 50 and 100 different things that he was grateful for. And I told him that his assignment is every morning to look in the mirror and to read off the things that he's thankful for. Because if you're thankful, you're happy. If you take things for granted, it's likely that you'll be unhappy. It's very likely. So what we're trying to do is trying to have a constant state of happiness. You, one of the things that we must remember is that each of us are unique. Right? We have our own f- fingerprint. We have our own DNA. There's no one else in the world whoever was, of the billions and billions of people who were, and the billions and billions of people who will be, there's never, ever going to be another you. Think about that for a second. You are the only you there will ever be. Someone said it here in the class, stop trying to be someone else because they're all taken. Right? Just be yourself. Right? Just be yourself because everyone else is taken. You're unique and the biggest problem that we have is we try to be and sometimes we do this to ourselves sometimes our parents do it to us sometimes we do it to our children is that we try to say to our children why can't you just be a mensch like the neighbor's kid why can't you help me like the neighbor helps his mother that's by the way a very terrible way to educate your children terrible because you're not understanding the specialty of your own child you're wanting them to be like someone else My grandfather in his book on on education says that the three traits that our sages in the Mishnah tell us remove a person from this world, which are, anybody know what they are? Hakin'ah, the jealousy, tava, lust, and kavod, honor, are the three things that remove a person from this world. Meaning you, you don't have life. If you have either of these things, jealousy, lust, and Honor, desire for honor, right? You're removed from this world, okay? Someone who's constantly running after honor has no life. Someone who's always jealous of other people has no life. Someone who's constantly running after their lusts, after their desires, no life. They have no control. My grandfather says these exact same traits are the biggest flaws parents have. The biggest flaws that parents have. Because parents say, I want honor. I want that when I walk into the room, my children should stand up for me. Right? For me, not for them. Right? I want that when someone walks in the door, my children should greet them nicely, kindly, take their coat, ask them if they want something to drink. Do I want them to do it because it's the right thing or do I want them to do it because I'm jealous because my neighbor's kids do that? Do I want them to succeed on their tests because I want them to do the best they can do? Or do I want them to be the best because it brings me honor? Do I want them to go to... uh, Who was it that someone was saying in one of the classes that she says, I told all of my children, all of my grandchildren, whatever university you want to go to, I'll pay for it. No problem. I got you covered. 
Okay. Another woman says, no, I never said that to my children. I told them you're going to this college, this university, right? Or I'm not paying for it. Okay. You either make it into the top, into the Harvard, into the Yale, or to, or I'm sorry, I'm not paying for you to go to some other college, right? Imagine the, ch the child has to live up to the standard that the parent wants for themselves. We, we have to understand that every single person is unique. Every single person, every child is unique. It actually says, the King Solomon says, Educate your child according to his way. What does it mean according to his way? Not my way. Right? Parents sometimes think, this is the rule in my house. This is the way it goes in my house. Well, guess what? If you have more than one child, right? You have three, three boys. I guarantee you every child is very uniquely different than the other. Right? I have seven children. Not one is even remotely the same. Okay? Not even identical in any way. This one has more personality. This one has more, more firebrand. This one has more intelligence. This one has more patience. This one has more zitzfleisch. This one can sit and read a book. This one doesn't want to look at a book, right? Thank God, different flavors, different styles. If I tried to educate even each of my children the same exact way, King Solomon says, no, 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 you don't educate your children the same way. You can have principles, and there's no question. You can have certain things, certain rules in your home. But remember that each child is different. You know, my, my, my sister is very, very bright. If she came home with a 99, my father would start asking her what happened. What, what happened? Why did you get a 99? If I came home with a 52, my father would be dancing on the roof, right? He'd be like, congratulations, you got over a 50. What, what happened? Who'd you cheat from? No. <laughs> but the, the idea that, that every child is different. Not only every child is different, every human being is different. And for us to think that we set a certain standard and this works for everybody, everybody is the same. That's wrong. That's not true. Everyone is unique. Does anybody here want to be judged on the scale of someone else? Well, they do this. Why don't you do this? Right? They act like that. Why don't you act like that? No, I'm not them. So why are we judging other people on our own standards? Right? I don't do that. Why do you do that? That's not fair. We have to understand that part of the key to happiness is recognizing our own uniqueness. We don't like when people judge us. Anybody here ever drive a little fast because they're rushing to a meeting? And Right? Never, ever, right? And what do we say along the way? We say... I'm sure they understand, right? The other cars understand why I'm driving like a Meshuggah, right? They understand, right? I got stuck in traffic. I was waiting for the, uh, for the uh, babysitter. I was whatever it is, right? And sometimes we're in a rush and we get, we get right? Uh, they understand. And when we see someone else driving like that, we're like, what a maniac, <laughs> right? Crazy. Why do you have to drive like that, right? But when it happens to us, we say... Everyone, they'll understand. They understand I'm rushing to a doctor's appointment. It's very important. I got, right? Be happy with what you have, whether it be physical or spiritual. 
You are the only you ever. There will never be another you. Not even remotely the same as you. Okay. Now, happiness requires focus and thought. Okay. You need to appreciate what you are gifted with. Every single one of us is gifted with unbelievable treasures. Right? Our personality, our heart, our, uh, our mind. Every, you know, last, last, uh, last week when we left class, I'm sure everybody heard the news of a, a world-class athlete that uh, died in a, in a horrific uh, helicopter crash. And I'm sure today at the Super Bowl, they'll be singing his praise and doing a whole memorial. And it's very interesting that while everyone, while this person may have been alive, could have had various things to say, but after the passing of someone, we always find positive to say. You know where you get this from? Three Torah portions in this week in, in, in the Torah. Three Torah portions in the Torah. One after the other. In Leviticus, we have the portion of Achremot. Then is Kedoshim, holiness. After uh, Mot is after death, and that's referring to the after the death of Aaron's children. Then you have Kedoshim is holiness. Emor say our sages tell us after the death of somebody. You only say the holiness. You only say the good. But imagine that. Imagine if we only spoke about other people good. Let's not wait till they're dead to say good. While they're alive, say only good. If we can get into a, into a habit of always saying positive about other people, always finding goodness in other people. You know, I know a family. I know a family that I, I know this family very well in Israel. Every time I go to Israel, I meet someone from this family because they're such incredible people. Their father taught them what it means to always say kind words to other people. They always say the nicest things. When they see you, they're like, oh, you have such a beautiful smile, right? It's amazing to see you. I, I, it's, it really is an incredible family. I'll just tell you, I'll tell you an amazing story, probably one of my favorite stories, Right? It's an amazing story. So one of their, the, the rabbi, his name is Rabbi Yaakovzon, and um, Jacobson, and uh, they lived in the same village that my father grew up in, in Israel. And one of his grandchildren was a stillborn baby, and uh, right after the baby was born, they had to, do a funeral and obviously it's very sad very very stressful time for a family and the the funeral is going to leave from the home of the grandparents but before the funeral the rabbi made a phone call to two families there were two families in his town and these two families were arch enemies I mean, they didn't talk to each other. They didn't go to the same synagogues. They hated each other. And he calls up each of these families and he says, you know, my grandson passed away and it's about to be the funeral. Before the funeral, I need to talk to you. 
hangs up, calls the other family, and says the same thing. Neither of them knew that the other was coming. And they both arrive at the rabbi's house at the same time, and they're looking at each other, and like, I guess the rabbi doesn't know that we're in a feud, right? And they're like, I don't want to be here with this person. The rabbi walks out with the lifeless baby in his hands, and he shows it to these, shows the baby to these two families, and he says to them, this baby came to this world and has no merits. None. It didn't do any mitzvah. I want the two of you to make peace. And that be its mitzvah. So that it returns to the, to the Almighty. Having made peace in this world. And those two families made peace. And that was the merit of this baby. Now I want to ask you a question. Someone who's in such pain, having lost a grandchild, what is the only thought that's going through his mind? How do I bring peace to the world? How do I bring happiness to other people? My tragedy doesn't have to be everyone's tragedy. It could be an opportunity for two families to get together and be happy once again, to make peace once again. To see everything as an opportunity of happiness, of joy, of friendship. We can look and always see the negative and always bicker about other people and always kvetch. The room is too hot, it's too cold, it's too this, it's too that. I don't, you know. Or we could just be happy. I'm alive. The food, the food is too hot, the food is too cold, it's too spicy, it's too sweet, it's too... It's food. You have food to eat. The perspective with which we live our lives is what counts. That is happiness. We can choose to see the good of other people or, God forbid, we can choose to see the negative of other people. We can choose to see the sour. We can choose to see what's not right. That's why I'm, I'm always... I'm always, uh, they, I, when I was growing up, they had a special, uh, a se special segment on the radio in New York, which would be the movie critics. And there would be, all the critics would talk about the movie's flaws. I was always wondering, right, can't they talk about the good of the movies? Well, yeah, food critics. I'm gonna, we're going to cri critique your food. Why can't you talk about the good of the food? It's just an interesting, you know, why, why are people training themselves, right? Oh, I want to become a food critic. <laughs> it's like, it's a career. I'm always going to look at the flaw. It's a great, great way to, you know, be positive about life, right? Always finding the flaws in things, right? Find the virtues. Every human being has a virtue. You know, I was once, it doesn't happen many times, because I, I, I try to really genuinely love people. But there was a guy, it was a, probably 10 years ago, I had it, I, I just hated this guy. I hate, you're like, you're looking like, what? You hated somebody? Right. I, I, I just hated him. I thought he was, I thought he was a terrible person and it bothered me. It really bothered me that I hated this person. So I committed myself 
to teaching a few-week series. I don't remember if it was two, three, or four-week series on loving every Jew. And that was my mission. My mission was that at the end of teaching this class, I was going to love this person. So I did a lot of research. I did a lot of learning, a lot of studying, a lot of working on myself. And I came up with an incredible system of how to love every Jew. How to love every human being. And this changed my life. It also changed my friendship with this individual. And which was my goal. I didn't want to have hatred in my heart. I didn't want to hate this person. So there are two, two, two separate ideas. The first idea is, it's okay for someone to be different than you. Accept it. You could be married to someone who is a, a Democrat and you're a Republican. You could be married to someone who is a Republican and you're a Democrat. It's fine. It's okay. Someone can, you can even love them. It's okay for someone to have a different opinion than you. That's stage number one. Number two is you must be able to identify their virtue. Everybody has a virtue. Everybody has a quality. What is it? Identify it. And this person, as much as I didn't like them in one area, but there was a whole other aspect of their life that they were really, really talented. And that's what I decided to focus on. I wasn't anymore going to focus on what I didn't like about them, but rather I was going to focus on what I did like about them. And I decided I was going to start going over to them and instead of holding back my thoughts and standing in the corner and saying like, oh, terrible, terrible, right? right? Instead of saying that, I walked over to them and said, you know something? I noticed that you have a great quality. Keep it up, right? I forced myself to do it and to be genuine about it. And they looked at me like all bizarre, like what happened? <laughs> what happened to this guy, right? But I was on a mission. I don't want to hate a person. Every human being has qualities. Every human being has virtues. Our job is to use our eyes to see them and use our mouth to acknowledge them. It doesn't mean you're validating their flaws. It doesn't mean that you're validating the things that they've done wrong against you. It means that you're deciding not to live with hatred, not to live with anger, but rather to be a person of happiness. When we don't have that disdain for, for another person, what we do is we unchain ourselves. We take off the shackles and we say, you know what? I can just love. I can just be happy. You know what? Forgiveness becomes easier. And we become a person of joy. So, happiness requires thought and focus. Appreciate what you are gifted with. Be happy with your sheer, with what you have. And sadness comes from desiring what you have not. Okay. We mentioned this last week and we're just uh, making sure that we have this all covered. What was Asav, the brother of Jacob, when he was saying, Yesh li rav, I have a lot. What was he saying? He was saying, I have a lot, but I have a lot that I don't have. I want more. We say, yeah, I've got a lot. That doesn't mean you have it all. When you say I have it all, meaning I don't need anything else. I have it all already. The minute we keep that door open that we're still, I still want more. Yeah, it could be that you 
that you you know you want to get another gadget. It could be that you want to get another toy. It could be you know that you know. My father, my father used to be a pilot. And my father used to have a plane, and uh, used to fly. You know, just a private plane. It was a hobby plane. It was like you know just a a uh, you know one of those single engine land planes, not a jet, not anything uh, you know too uh, too serious. And he'd just go. He'd wake up in the morning on a Sunday morning. He'd be like, "Ah, oh, what a beautiful day to fly!" And he'd go to the airport and he'd go fly for a few hours and then and then come back home. And then my youngest brother, who was about twenty years younger than me, was playing with his toy airplane. So my mother had a picture on on the on the fr- refrigerator of my father with his plane and my brother with his plane. And he says the he would see she had over there a quote. The only difference between men and boys are the price of their toys. Okay? And it's an interesting thing. But sometimes we don't look at ourselves at what we have. We look at what we don't have. Right? What Asaph was saying, I have a lot. But I have so much more that I desire. I have so much more that I desire. How can someone be happy when they constantly feel like they need more? They need more. They want more. The Mishnah tells us, Yeshlo mono wrote some assignment. Someone has 100, he wants 200. He has 200, he wants 400. He has 400, he wants 800. Never, it never quenches. It's never done. Unless someone says, I have it all. Does that mean we close our business? No. But at least live with that perspective. I have it all. God blessed me with everything I need. Yeah, could I use a little bit more? Yes, no question, we all can. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't at least have that perspective. Ace of Wild, he has an abundance, still seeks more. His quest for wealth is never quenched, right? The moment that we are able to conclude that we have it all, we begin to enjoy what we have and we are happy. We feel no need for more. We have no need to have anything else. We gain a much deeper pleasure with what we have in life. I once told you in one of the classes that there's a woman I know who has a company. It's called Shopping in Your Closet. Remember I told you this? It's Shopping in Your Closet. And what she does is is that... People are always looking, I have to buy a new dress. I have to buy a new outfit. I need to buy a new suit. I need to buy... No, you don't. You have it all in your closet already. You just don't know it. Let me show you how you can shop in your own closet. And people pay this person to shop in their own closet. And the the amazing thing is many times the tags are still on on the garments. The tag, it has never been worn before yet. But the problem is we're living in a world where we desire with our eyes. We're constantly running after our desires and we want to buy more and we want to buy more and we want to buy more and we want to buy more. We're going to realize we have it already because what we're really looking for is happiness. And we don't realize that happiness is not going to be acquired. Happiness is within. There is not a garment in the world that you can buy that will make you happy. There's not a gadget you can buy, not a car, not a house, not a plane that you can buy that will make you happy. But the happiness you already have within you. You say, you know what? If I'd be married to that person, then I'll be happy. If I had those children, then I'll be happy. 
There was a great story told to Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, that not, not told him, that was with Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. One of his great students said, you know, if I had the character of this student and I had the mind of that student and I had the desire of that student, that'd be perfect. So Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, the great founder of the Muslim movement, said, no. With your heart, with your mind, with your abilities, you'll be perfect. Don't look at other people to try to fill your void. Only you have what you need to fulfill yourself. In a world where we have so much abundance, and we do, we have an unbelievable abundance, where you can go into the supermarket today and buy enough food for the next 10 years, right? Even, even, you know, you can even get it in, in those, uh, in the, in the jars. What are they called? Uh, perishables, right? Non-perishables. You can get them, you can have food, you can lock yourself in a bunker and you have food for the next 10 years. What generation had that? Joseph. Joseph put away food for seven years, okay? But otherwise, you really didn't... It actually wasn't seven years, it was two years, That's right? Because Jacob prayed for it, for the famine to end, right? So it was only two years instead of seven years. But that was a massive famine. But we, today we have unbelievable abundance. It's incredible. And yet, we have more people today who are upset, who are sad, who are depressed, than ever before. And it's not because we don't have. It's because we do have and we don't appreciate. If we learn to say thank you, if we learn to say thank you for every single thing that we have and really feel it, don't just say the words thank you, but stop and appreciate what it took. My rabbi would say a very interesting thing. He says, think before you sit down for dinner. You have food right in front of you. Before you sit down for dinner, think how many people needed to work for you to get this food on your plate. Think all the way from the people who planted, who plowed, who harvested, who gathered, who bottled, who, uh, who packaged, who put them on the, on, on the shelves, right? Who had to, all the cashiers who had to deal with, the person who designed the menu, person who cooked the food, who prepared it on a plate, and brought it out for you at the restaurant. It's easy that within one plate that you eat, it's over a hundred people that needed to work for you to be served. And yet, we're like, well, you know, it could have used a little bit more salt. It could have used, a, you know, it's like, and we, it's very easy to just take it for granted. Do you realize what an amazing thing that is? That a hundred people work to get the food onto your plate? And we don't appreciate it. If we just stop for a moment, and by the way, that's what a blessing is about. The blessing that we say before we eat food is not to be all religious and holy. It's to give you the opportunity to stop and appreciate. Look at what I have. You know, we don't need people to carry water to our homes or jugs of milk, right, and leave it at our doorstep anymore. You used to have that. Today you can do Instacart and you can do uh, DoorDash and you can do all these other incredible Amazon Prime now and in two hours, boom, it's at your doorstep. It's amazing. It really is amazing. And we complain. 
We complain how things don't go our way. We complain how nothing is working for us. It's a terrible life. If we just stop to appreciate uh, the definition of happiness, okay, this is an article uh, that was written in the Houston Chronicle in March of 2011. He says, and remember, the best definition of happiness I've ever heard, you are happy when your money won't change where you live, what you eat, what you wear, what you drive, or anything else in your life. All right? It's um, I, everything I have I want. More money won't change it. The minute you recognize that it said really about wealth, but you change it to happiness, right? Where the true definition of wealth is that you are wealthy when, you ha- when money won't change where you live, what you eat, what you wear, what you drive, or who you're married to, right? Think about that with happiness. I have everything. You know, they, they actually... Um, So, you know the difference between horse racing and dog racing? What? I mean, they're both running after a fake rabbit, right? The difference is that if the dogs knew they were running after a fake mechanical rabbit, they would never run, right? But think for yourself, each one of us, what is the happiness that we're running after? We're all seeking happiness. Every human being is seeking happiness. What is that happiness that we're looking for? Is it a fake rabbit we're running after? Maybe. Or is it something real? Let's define it. What is that happiness? All right? So there's an article that was written by in the Wall Street Journal. And they were looking for... In the New York Times, I'm sorry. They were looking... For in the New York Times, this was written also March 2011. And they took a research of a thousand randomly selected Americans and asked them about their emotional status, work satisfaction, eating habits, illness, stress levels, and other indicators for their quality of life. Right? And the idea was they were trying to come up with what is the perfect. Who is the perfect happy person? Right? Who's the exact thing? This is what they, they came up with at the end. Okay? So, the New York Times asked Gallup to come up with the statistical composite of the happiest person in America based on the characteristics that most closely correlated with happiness in 2010. Men, for example, tend to be happier than women. Older people are happier than middle-aged people and so on. So they tried to come up, who is the perfectly happy person? And their answer was, this is all New York Times, okay? The Gallup's answer was, he's a tall Asian-American observant Jew who is at least 65 years old and married and has children, lives in Hawaii, runs his own business, and has a household income of $120,000 or more. And a few phone calls later, they came up with the man. His name is Alvin Wong, okay? He is 5 foot 10, 69 years old, Chinese-American, kosher-observing Jew who is married with children and lives in Honolulu. 
He runs his own healthcare management business and earns more than $120,000 a year. <laughs> okay? This is a whole study they did. Um, it, it really is funny. I can sh share with you the article. Um, they reached him by phone at his home on Friday and referred to the and referred to the times by a local synagogue, right? Mr. Wong said that he was indeed a very happy person. He said that perhaps he manages to be the happiest man in America because my life philosophy is if you can't laugh at yourself, life is going to be pretty terrible for you, right? He continued, that is a practical joke, right? Right? <laughs> That, but that is the that is the article from the New York Times, and there's a whole article that I have as well from the Wall Street Journal that talks about um, a whole research they did. That 20 percent of people, 65 and up, say they're very happy. 27 percent of 30 to 45 year olds say they are very happy as well. Right? Either way, is there's a lot to read about happiness, but the problem is, what is happiness? What is happiness? We all know we want it. What is it? Exactly it. If I am not pleased with what I have, with who I am, if I'm not pleased with who I am, how can I be happy? Right? You have to look at what you are, who you are, what you have. Look in the mirror and start getting to, you know, the most fascinating human being you will ever meet in your life is yourself. You know, the, a, great, a great phrase that I, I love repeating from Rabbi Noah Weinberg, the great uh, head of the Eshat Yeshiva of blessed memory. He said, if you don't know what you're ready to die for, you haven't begun living. What are you ready to die for? Think about it. What are you ready to die for? You ready to die for your family? Are you ready to die for your job? Are you ready to die for your friends? What are you ready to die for? Think of it. Make a list. What are you? I'm ready to, to take my. I'm ready for my life to be taken. For. Fill in the blank. For my family. Uh, what? What? You, <laughs> no, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a great exercise. Think about it, because I'll tell you why. What you need to do next. Now start living for that. I don't know anybody on planet Earth who's ready to die for their job. So why do people live for their job? Why do people spend so much time with their, with their uh, careers and they spend nights and days? Oh, oh, are they ready to die for money? I don't think so. So why did they live for money? But you understand? You understand? Well, that, that, that's... That, those aren't the people who are happy, perhaps. But are, what are we ready to do to be happy? You know, Warren Buffett lives in the same house he lived in when he was a child, and he drives the same Honda Civic, the 1982 Honda Civic. Right? Well, even Mike Bloomberg, you may not want him as a, as a president. You know that he wears the same shoes now for over 30 years? What? He just replaces the sole, replaces the heels. That's it. He wears the same shoes. He has one pair of shoes. Right? What's that? That's exactly it. 
<laughs> That's right. That, that is true. That is true. I had an individual, and I think I share this with you. We'll end with this. I had an individual. I was very close. I'm, I am very close with this individual. And he told me, sadly, he says, Rabbi, I wish I would have met you 40 years ago. He says, because my whole life I was thinking I need to have financial stability before I have children. He says, I got married at a young enough age, but I didn't have children at a young enough age. And he says... And now what? I have all this money, and I don't have the children. I don't have the family. I, I have, and he's very, very successful. Probably one of the one of the better lawyers in this in the city. But what? What is that worth? What is that worth if we don't have what we're really ready to die for? So the answer is know what you're ready to die for, and start living for it. You ready to die for God? Live for God. You ready to die for yourself? Right? So live for yourself. Enjoy yourself. Get to know yourself. Have a conversation with yourself. That, not in a creepy way, okay? But, but, but seriously, have a conversation with yourself. Get to know who you are. You're the most fascinating human being you will ever meet. And the more we know about ourselves, the happier we'll be. The more confident we'll be. The more we know our place, the more we know and understand where we belong and what we're about. And you know, when someone says, you know, why don't you, that's not for me. It's for them. And I'm happy for them. I don't need it anymore. I used to not know who I was, so I used to run after things. I don't need it anymore. My dear friends, be happy. Have a wonderful week.